are the stories behind the businesses that you know in our local area, the trials, the tribulations and the successes. One very successful local chocolate manufacturing business is Matisto Chocolate. And Trevor Smith joins me to talk about the business and how it came about. Let's talk about where it begins for you, Trevor. I know for a time you actually spent a little bit of time as a as a panel beater. How do you get involved in chocolate producing? Yeah, right. Um, basically, I was born in South Australia, uh, moved to Alice Springs as a um, young child, where I spent 21 years of my life and I fell into panel beating because I basically didn't do that great in school. Um, was always one of those restless type children that liked pulling things apart and kind of daydreaming and all that kind of stuff. So school never really worked for me that great. I was very good at school though, just didn't work for me uh, structure-wise. So uh, I fell into a trade basically and it was encouraged in my family at least if you're not going to do well in school, do a trade, you'll always have a job. And it's true, it worked well for me for the first five years until basically I had enough of living in Alice Springs and through music I found a a guy in Sweden that invited me over for a holiday and I basically went to Sweden for three months and met my wife the first day I arrived and yeah I came back after the three months sold everything packed my bags told her I was moving over to her surprise and I did that you know I sold everything and just left and I ended up staying for 15 years in Sweden so I, I worked as a panel beater in Australia. I worked as a panel beater for the first five or six years that I was in Sweden until I also had enough of it. I needed more challenges, didn't find the job interesting, didn't find the work colleagues that thrilling. So I, I needed something else and I didn't know what. And funny enough, at the same time, I just got obsessed with pastry, French patisserie. And I spent a lot of my time cooking, baking, doing French pastry, all that kind of stuff and became kind of obsessed with it as I do. And that ended up falling into opening a small cafe and patisserie in a little town up in the center of Sweden. And eventually that merged into more of a fascination with chocolate and meeting one of the first craft chocolate makers from the United States back in 2009. So he was part of the first movement, which was the first five real craft chocolate makers in the world. So it's quite a young industry and he was one of the first and is still very very good at what he does and through that it just started snowballing and likewise one day I told my wife I'm going to make chocolate and yeah she knew that that's probably what I was going to do. <laughs> now the irony of that is that your wife is actually trained in dental. Yeah <laughs> it's a funny story for most people. Um, chocolate's also always seen as the the villain in, in the, the dental world and in fact, in the dental world, chocolate isn't. It's, um, you know, sugar generally and hot drinks and all that kind of stuff is the, the main culprit. Uh, chocolate, because of the high fat content, usually doesn't pose any problems at all. It's quite funny to most people, the, um, the dentist and the chocolate maker, and a lot of people think that we kind of push each other's businesses. <laughs> but no, it doesn't work out that way. And you've made the comment that chocolate is considered a confectionery, but isn't. A confectionery. Just explain that. Uh, it kind of falls into the same, uh, the same way people often call us chocolatiers. Uh, chocolatiers are people who make confectionery. They they make chocolates and confectionery from chocolate and other ingredients. We are chocolate makers. So chocolate is a product or an ingredient, 
that can be used to create other things or be eaten on its own. Uh, much the way most other products are. It's just that most of the chocolate people are exposed to are made by chocolatiers or confectionery companies that produce it in mass scale and it gives it the bad reputation that it's got. When we strip that back and look at chocolate as a pure product on its own, things change quite a lot. But we're not conditioned to that. We, we grow up eating confectionery and that's what most people know. What is the meaning behind the name Matisto? Uh, so my wife is Polish. I'm Australian, obviously. Um, we met in Sweden. We're all dual citizens. My children are all dual citizens. And we were stumbling around trying to find a name for the company back in 2011, going through all the, the French names and the Italian names and the Swedish names. And nothing, nothing worked. Things are too pretentious. It's, picking names is a tough thing. It's something you've got to stick with for the, your whole career. And we stumbled across Esperanto which is actually a language that was created to unify the world. It was supposed to be a language that everybody could speak, um, one language for the whole world. And we stumbled across the, the name for an artisan, which was Matisto. And it happens to be, have two eyes in the center of it, which is really unusual in yeah. all languages. And it's symmetrical. It just worked. And we ran with it. And that's what it means. It means someone who makes something with their hands, a craftsman or an artisan. So it just... It just ended up working. So you start the original business in Sweden? Yep, in, my, in the basement of our house. Again, much to my wife's surprise. Um, when she's come home from work one day after I've closed the patisserie and I'm making chocolate. And she probably at the time thought that it was just a passing phase or something, like something I need to get out of my system. And yeah, she was wrong. <laughs> so just explain making chocolate for those of us, you know, who probably think more along the lines of, you know, buying some chocolate bits and, and melting them down and adding some flavours and then just sort of reconstituting it. I mean, what you do is a very different scenario. I mean, you make it from the, now is it cocoa bean or cocoa bean? It's cocoa bean. Okay. So cocoa is the name of the fruit that grows on the tree. The seeds that come out of that that are fermented and dried become cocoa. So if we were living in South America, we could call them cacao, but we don't. We're, we speak English and we're an English-speaking country. So it's, yeah, it often gets coined as a, a healthier, trendy way of saying something that is superior in health benefits, which is an absolute lie. So definitely cocoa. So you take the beans and you turn that into the chocolate product from scratch. Yeah, exactly. So we... We take the time to find farmers that we want to work with, farmers that do exceptional work, which is not always an easy case. Um, consistency, quality, flavor, all those kind of things. So we run through those samples. We get samples from whatever country we're working with. Right now we work with the Solomon Islands. We go through and find cocos that we think are interesting or have potential. Then we develop recipes off of those. So we get the dried cocoa in, we clean them, make sure there's no defects, roast them, much like you do with coffee, crack them open, remove the husk from the outside, take the nib, which is the center of the bean, you grind that into something called cocoa liquor, which is a pure 100% liquid chocolate. From that, you create your recipe. So however much sugar goes into it to balance the bitterness and the, the darker notes, and milk in the case of milk chocolate, and a little bit of extra cocoa butter that helps with flow which helps working the chocolate. Um, that takes basically a week 
of work. And generally you conch the chocolate, which means massaging it. It kind of polishes the particles like river stones in a river. And that takes about three or four days. So it's the old school way of doing it. Big companies don't do that anymore. They have a continuous system that just goes in one end and flies out the other. How did you come across that information? Had you worked with somebody that had made chocolate? No. Um, we were actually the first craft chocolate factory to even open in Sweden. So before we were there, there wasn't anything. And the big industry companies are not really the right companies to look up to and certainly are very tight-lipped with their information. So you wouldn't get anything from them even if you wanted to. And basically at the time, there were no books. There was nothing. You, there is no book on how to make chocolate. And it involved basically sitting till all hours of the night and day, plowing through research papers, scientific journals, to find the papers that big companies had created themselves to achieve certain things. And it's a very long, long drawn out process of trial and error on top of that. So we are quite tight lipped with how we do things especially in a, the market has become much more flooded these days than it was back then. So there's chocolate factories opening daily all over the world. But the information that we've got, our intellectual property that's taken us years and years to work out, which can just be one sentence, um, we have to hold it pretty close. The trial and error going into finding your recipe, I would assume that, you know, it wasn't all beer and Skittles on the lead up in. Oh, no. I mean, our, our first bars of chocolate were horrific. <laughs> you wouldn't want to eat them. And I think people would be shocked to see how much chocolate goes in the garbage bin. And I, you know, we have to stand by everything that we send out the door and, and nobody should ever really know of your failures when they purchase it in a shop. And you're responsible for every single chocolate bar that goes out there. We don't know if a chocolate bar I'm making today will end up in the hands of someone here in Toowoomba or if we go to a chocolate critic in the United States. So we have to make sure that every single bar is a good one. And that means, unfortunately, dumping hundreds of kilos of chocolate sometimes. And it hurts, but your reputation will hurt even more if you send out something that's subpar. You close the factory and you decide to have some family time. And, and was there a, a point where you thought, well, I've done it. It's not going to happen again. And then you get the, the fire back in the belly and you want to re Is that how it came about that you end up here in Australia? Oh, definitely. It was, I think, closing the factory was the hardest decision we've ever had to make. It, it took us four months of, of talking so we basically, we started entering competitions in 2016 and it was the same year we we got approached by some investors and we were ready to take Matisto to the next level, which would have been massive. And at the time, market was smaller. It wasn't as condensed as it is today. It's It's very saturated. And we had this opportunity that was right there. And it was right at the same time that we had um, some family issues. My wife's mother passed away. We had a young child who wasn't enjoying school in Sweden as much as we would hope that she would. And basically clashing with the system, realizing that it wasn't really the place where we wanted to raise a family. And this all came and it, it was all just terrible timing. And we had to sit down and and make the hardest decision we've ever made. And that was to basically sell my wife's business, uh, close the chocolate factory, walk away from it from six years of very hard work and a lot of money invested 
for the sake of trying to give our family a future and have a second child, which we couldn't have in Sweden. So it was hard. And that's what we ended up doing is saying, no, family is more important. We have to look out for the best of the children and ourselves, our own sanity. And we ultimately packed up and decided to move uh, to Australia early last year. So it's been a pretty rough couple of years. So when we got to Australia, that was it. You know, when I said I was closing the factory, that was a definite thing. I was never going to make chocolate again. I'd had enough. I was just tired, worn out. You work so hard to get somewhere and then you walk away from it. And you don't feel like lightning can strike twice. And it was only through my wife pestering me. I tried to work here in town. I'll just say that I guess I'm unemployable at this point. <laughs> I think when you've run your own business, you wear many hats. And when you get a job back out in the real world, you have certain expectations of what you can do, what you think you can add to the company. And I don't think that's always appreciated. So it just didn't work. And we had a lot of international customers, our old customers that started approaching us saying, okay, now that you're settled in Australia, when are you starting to make chocolate again? And it was based on my wife that forced me to do it. And at the time, didn't feel like a great thing to do. Sometimes still doesn't, but it's starting to pay off. So. Why Toowoomba? Basically ticks all the boxes. So it's a, another story in itself. Um, my parents, we lived in Alice Springs most of our adult or childhood, especially up until I was an adult. And I think my parents put in probably 25 years there. And they also, they got to the end of it, basically. They had run a business there. They'd had enough and we had moved away. So they wanted to, to travel, see Australia a bit more, maybe move back to South Australia, which they did. They moved to Adelaide and didn't work out well for them there. They didn't enjoy it as much as they hoped. They moved to Port Lincoln for a couple of years. And then they packed up and decided they'd drive all the way around Australia with a list and try and find a town or a city that basically ticked all the boxes. So they had a list of criteria that was employment, um, growth, uh, is it a nice place to live, good climate, not too big, not too small. And you start looking through that and it's, it's hard. I think they, got, they drove all the way across Western Australia, all the way down the East Coast, down to Coffs Harbour, I think they got as far as. And they decided just to go back. You know, they'd gotten all the way down there and just looped back around and started coming up the range until they got to Toowoomba and stayed. And that was three or four years ago. There's often been some controversy around chocolate and the manufacture of chocolate. What don't we know as the average purchaser of a block of chocolate that, that's going on behind the scenes? And I know you're very passionate about your single farmer use of your cocoa bean, but, but what's the reality that's happening out there in the, in the chocolate world? I think the main thing is people don't know what chocolate is. I think, I don't think the average person, when they go to a supermarket to buy a bar of chocolate, is actually buying a bar of chocolate. I think it's just a, it's a habit, I guess. We buy chocolate because it's something we crave or want. And the attitude that comes along with that is basically that it's just a guilty pleasure or a luxury, or not a luxury, something we're entitled to. And it's much the same as how we used to buy meat and how we used to buy wine and how we used to buy coffee until people came along and pointed out that there's real people at the other end of that. And 
we're essentially trying to point out the same thing that at the end of that chocolate, at the very beginning of it, is a child in a cocoa plantation walking around in the Ivory Coast instead of going to school with a machete. And that's horrible. It, it really is. And we're not eco-warriors. You know, I don't, I don't go to certain kinds of parties and, and claim to be saving the world. But these are serious issues. And the chocolate industry has thrived on that since it began. And because the industry has been built up that way, no one has ever really questioned it. And recently, I think the Washington Post did a, a big write-up a couple of weeks ago about exactly this situation and how a lot of the big companies in the world were asked to take stock of this 20 years ago and fix it, and they've done nothing. If anything, they've washed their hands of the whole thing entirely, and it just keeps going the way it's going. And they will invest more money and time into marketing and getting you to buy their products anyway, and business rolls on as usual. Just tell us a little bit about some of the awards that you've won recently. Yep. So our first awards were in 2016. That's when we first decided to enter as a Swedish company. At the time, we were using, obviously, cocoa doesn't grow very close to Sweden. So you're kind of forced to rely on importers. And a lot of these guys were bringing in the, the best of the best. So all of the, what we now know as the, the cocoa countries that produce the best cocoa in the world. So we were using a lot of that stuff. And I think we won nine awards that year in, in the international competitions and never a gold, a lot of silvers and some bronzes. And we started entering, I think we entered our first competition last year, one month after we opened. So it was literally the first batches of chocolate we made, we sent to the Australian Food Awards. So we entered the first three bars and won a gold for each of them straight off the bat, which was great. Um, didn't really have much of a chance to get into the international competitions because they're earlier in the year and later in the year. So it just didn't work out. So we had a crack at one of them this year and we took home a gold, uh, one of nine golds given out of 1,600 entrants from 46 different countries, uh, one silver and two bronzes for the four bars we sent in. Uh, on top of that, they sit down as a panel and they assess the gold winners and they go through and they pick for one the best company of them all and then they gave us something that they call the rising star award and the rising star basically is not given for a chocolate bar it's given for you as a company as a whole so they sit around they discuss where your company's at is what you're doing significant is the standard of your chocolate up there and do we believe that you're an important part of this industry so for us it's it's a hard thing to explain to people what the Rising Star Award actually means. People measure things in gold, silvers, and bronzes. But basically what they're saying is we think you're a, a very important player in this market. So it's a big honor for us to have um, this panel of people basically say that we're batting up there with the big guys. And yet we're not talking about the, the, the confectionery chocolate makers, but the, the big famous French makers, the famous Italian makers to beat those guys on their home turf and be called someone who's at their level is pretty cool. Absolutely. So what's the end game? What's the next thing for Matisto Chocolate? Uh, so chocolate's a, a tough business to make money out of. There's a reason why chocolate is an industrial process. So what we do is basically a micro-industrial process. So it's a the only way you can truly make money out of it is to scale up and scaling up means serious money. 
So there's a right way to scale up and a wrong way to scale up. Obviously, big industry is what we would say is the wrong way to do it. They, they shoot for big profits, minimal input when it comes to buying ingredients and such. If we can scale up and keep growing, we can actually do things the opposite way, which means taking the money that we can sell our bars for, for the price that they actually cost to make, and feeding that money back to the farmers who do half the work. So that's quite a big issue in the industry. And it's something that is, again, tough to get across to the consumer, that chocolate should never be as cheap as it is. But because chocolate has always been that cheap, they don't know any different. So it's a tough thing because if you look at beer as a great example, um, craft beer kind of turned the beer industry on its head. And I guess when these guys got away with charging more money for their beer because they're making good beer, the bigger companies can simply turn around and just raise their prices too. And it's happened recently. A lot of the chocolate makers call themselves bean to bar, which was coined as a phrase back in the early days of this to symbolize someone who actually made chocolate from the cocoa bean to the chocolate bar. But recently, the big companies, one of them was Whitaker's actually in New Zealand, who recently launched a TV campaign with Nigella Lawson about bean to bar because they make their chocolate from a cocoa bean. So I think anytime you try to take these guys on with their own ways of doing things, they're just going to throw it back at you tenfold. So trying to set yourself apart by saying, not trying to coin phrases, not trying to say we're bean to bar, not trying to say we're anything other than a company that makes good chocolate. And that's something they can never claim because they don't. And if we can actually make a difference in the industry, that's something they can't do either. So silly catchphrases and trying to use health benefits to sell your product or catchy slogans. It's not a good way of doing things. So if there is going to be a future for us in this industry, it's simply educating the customer. It's the hardest thing to do, but it's substantial and it works, but it takes a long time. And through that, we can actually start trying to make a change. We're too small at the moment to actually really make a difference. And that's something that frustrates us to no end. We would love to pay the cocoa farmers more money. We would love to buy more of their cocoa. Um, we recently were in the Solomon Islands hearing the stories of these farmers and there's a lot of frustration. They don't understand why we simply just can't buy more cocoa. And yeah, we have to tell them, sorry, but the market isn't there. Um, people aren't yet ready to pay more money for it and they don't understand that. It's, it sounds absurd. And when you come back to Australia and you see the noise that is generated around the milk kerfuffle and the big supermarkets, doesn't matter if it's dairy, doesn't matter if it's beef or farmers suffer here too. And it's simply because people put a price to things. People say milk has this value and it doesn't. It has the value that the farmer asks for. If it costs him $5 a litre, that's what the price is. And who are we to argue with that? And we get pressure from retailers too, you know, even international ones. They want the chocolate for a certain price because this is what their customers are willing to pay. And that makes no sense. And if you look at the wine world, it doesn't have that. Why? Why is it okay to sell the same size bottle of wine? One is $100, one is $1,000, one is $5. How is that possible? But in the chocolate world, chocolate costs this much money. And... It's an odd thing, and 
when you, from our perspective, it seems absurd that we should put a price to something that we don't grow. It's a real thing. And we've got to try and change that somehow. Well, I wish you all the best of success in continuing to grow this business. So we thank you for bringing it to the Garden City and uh, we hope that this area helps you to to prosper. Trevor Smith of Matisto Chocolate, uh, thank you for sitting down and having a chat. Thank you very much for your time.